Welcome to What's Up with Betsy Johnson, the podcast from a longtime Oregon legislator and keen political observer discussing what is right and wrong with government, politics, and public policy. All right, well, here we sit uh, in 2023, the tail end of it, uh, October, as folks are hearing this more than likely. Uh, I'm astounded that the politics has already started. I thought it was a little too early for Republican presidential candidate debates, and but no, that's certainly not the case. And you've got any number of political races shaping up in Oregon. What are your thoughts on those? Well, we certainly do. Uh, it's interesting because the top spots in Oregon either are just recently filled. Our governor, Tina Kotek, has been in office for a year. The other three top spots, Secretary of State, treasurer and attorney general uh, all have moved around. The sitting treasurer will be leaving his seat and running for secretary of state. The secretary of state right now is a temporary person appointed by the governor who will not be seeking the office after the disgraceful behavior of Shamia Fagan, who was our elected secretary of state, but it wasn't good enough to be secretary of state. She had to get a side hustle where she was being paid $10,000 a month to oversee the cannabis industry that she was um, effectuating a, an audit on and then feeding the, the cannabis guys the audit questions and uh, charging the state for all kinds of things like having her pets stay in very expensive hotel rooms and taking her family on holiday and uh, finally, Tolerant Oregon just said enough, and she was driven from office. So that spot is open. So the treasurer has filed for the secretary of state, state's job. A uh, senator in the Oregon legislature has also filed. So that will create a Democrat primary. The uh, With the treasurer's seat open, a sitting senator has stepped up to run for treasurer. And then just recently, our attorney general, uh, even though she would have another term eligible to her, has decided not to run. And that's going to set off a frenzy. Everybody with a JD is going to want that job. And so um, there are no announced candidates right now, but lots of speculation. So then you've also got a couple of the senators who were subject to ballot measure 113, this was a voter-passed initiative that would make anybody with 10 unexcused absences ineligible to run in the next cycle for their seat. Two such senators with 10 unexcused absences have filed. That will be litigated all the way up to the Oregon Supreme Court. And I think that certain things that I've heard I was not party to, nor did I observe them personally, but they've come from very faithful reporters was the amount of manipulation that existed around those determinations of what constituted an excused absence. Somebody, for example, I was told, asked for an excused absence on a Sunday when the Senate was meeting. They were told it was okay because they wanted to go to church. They left, they attended their religious services, came back and found out that it had been retroactively disallowed. Now, whether or not that's a fact and whether or not that comes into any of the court filings remains to be seen. But we've got the House all filing. Uh, there will be some folks that will not seek reelection. And then there's this whole group that are seeking different offices, largely the Senate seeking different offices. Um, and so the first filing date was uh, about a week ago. I think it was September the 14th. 
And um, that sort of started the cluster of everybody announcing that they were running. The actual final date is not until the spring. But I know from the time that I filed, I generally filed very early to let it be known that I was running again. And uh, and so it's a it's a nerve wracking time between the late fall and the early spring when the firmament sort of uh, begins to happen. Right now, a lot of moving pieces, a lot of people being cultivated. Um, the Republicans have not had a particularly deep bench, and so I don't know what people they're going to be putting up for these offices. The other thing is that we now have a sixth congressional seat in Oregon, newly created. We used to just have five, and our population changed enough that we garnered a sixth seat. And the configuration of Congressional District 5 changed very dramatically. It now starts in the Willamette Valley, which is the, the part of Oregon where Portland and Salem and Eugene are. And it spreads over the Cascade Mountains into central Oregon that used to be pretty reliably Republican, but with the influx of as many Californians as have come to Oregon has turned much more reliably Democrat. And so those Senate seats, I mean, those congressional seats will be um, watched, I believe, at the national level because of how close Congress is, the House of Representatives, that were those, uh, those two congressional seats in Oregon to change, it could upset the balance of the House of Representatives at the national level. And so... Um, uh, it, the, the political season has started. Folks are raising money already. Uh, the amount of money that is sloshing around in politics is pretty gross. And I know because I raised a lot of it when I ran for governor, not as much as my two colleagues. Um, but uh, when I think about the good that could have been done with the amount of money that we spent on TV, I, I am embarrassed by it. But yeah, the political season has started. And as far as I'm concerned, the, the other one that's going to be very interesting to watch is the city of Portland has changed its form of government. It is going from a commission form to a, a completely different construct that will be zoned by districts. And there are many people, including me, that think that this is going to be an electoral experiment that will end in disaster. And oh, by the way, the mayor that presided over Portland during the Antifa riots and COVID and all kinds of tumult, uh, Ted Wheeler has announced that he's not running. And so one of his city council colleagues, a guy named Mingus Maps, is the only current declared candidate. So we're going to have quite a vigorous uh, campaign season here in good old Oregon with significant ramifications as to uh, how we govern ourselves and what the general philosophy and demeanor of our legislature and our highest elected offices, uh, what what will be reflected in the candidates elected to those offices. So you've been a candidate a number of times for state senator and for state representative before that. I'm just curious about the mechanics of running for office. So Betsy wakes up, you know, she's been in the Senate for eight years, say. Um, do you just say, okay, I'm going to run today, go file this paperwork for me, staff, or do you have to do something yourself? What's the, what's, how does it work to actually file for, to run for office? 
Well, there are certain legal requirements, paperwork that has to be filled out and and um, mostly a treasurer organization that keeps track of the money, because despite the fact that we've had some oopses, specifically the cannabis guys taking sacks of cash to our former secretary of state, Shamia Fagan, allegedly, um, we have very rigorous reporting uh, requirements. So you have to have in place the mechanics of running, and that includes a treasurer that will keep track of all of the money in and all of the expenditures out. Generally, people have a support network behind them to do scheduling, and a lot of it depends on the office. When I ran for state senator, I did a lot of my own staff work. I knew the district so well, and um, it, it was easy to drive myself to events. I didn't need a whole lot of staff on the ground. Not only did I ha- did I um, not need that, but I think it's pretentious. Some of these guys that are in the Oregon legislature travel around with these mountains of staff, and I think that's sort of silly. But you've got to have the legal requirements that are prescribed to, to run, filling out the proper paperwork, making sure you've got a treasurer that's accountable and responsible, and then doing all of the soft stuff, which is raising the money to get your message out, making sure that you have schedulers and people around you that can keep you kind of abreast of what's going on in the, in the district. You have to set up public appearances because Oregon expects their candidates to be out and among them. And it's pretty much seven days a week, all day, run, 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 run. That was accelerated exponentially when I ran for governor. I mean, I basically wasn't home for a year. I'd come home, sleep, and get up and start it all over again. And you're doing it all over the state. And so even though I had the benefit of an airplane, sometimes the door would open and i think, where the hell am I today? Uh, it is extremely intense. And if you're running a statewide race, getting the organization in all of the far-flung corners of Oregon is not without its challenges. I, I would say that it's nervous making to file at the first opportunity to file. The more nervous day is at 5.01, uh, that date in March, when it is the last day to file, and your heart's sort of in your throat, seeing if somebody's going to run against you, who the somebody is, how powerful are they. Lots of people wait until the very last moment to file because they think there's a certain element of surprise that you're going to get somebody that way. I always filed early. I, I knew that I intended to run. I had the mechanisms behind me to run, and I would go ahead and file very early and just put a, a marker in that I was seeking re-election to my Senate seat. So it's an interesting time. And for those of us that even though I don't have a a political title anymore, I still am at my core a political junkie. We're going to be watching this very closely. The personal race that I'm involved in right now very, very heavily is um, uh, Nathan Vasquez, who is running to unseat our very unpopular current district attorney, a guy named Mike Schmidt. Nathan is a 24-year prosecutor got an internship uh, during law school. He and I graduated from the same law school. And he went down to the DA's office and said, this is a place I love. I found a niche here. And he spent the last quarter of a century um, doing the really big cases. He's in the middle, even as you and I are speaking, of a three-day, I mean, a, a, um, a triple homicide. 
uh, case. And um, it's a little awkward for him to be running against his boss, but his boss is very unpopular. Uh, his boss is headed off to Lisbon, Portugal, to study how Portugal deals with drug dealers while Nathan is trying a triple murder. To the best of my knowledge, Schmidt has never tried a case. And um, I just find it absolutely absurd that somebody who is the top cop in Multnomah County, because the DA really is, would be, you know, buggering off to Portugal to talk about drug addiction. He can drive down to the corner of Third and Davis, save himself a lot of time and money and taxpayer expense. He didn't need to go to Portugal. The Portuguese are even backing away from they did from what they did with respect to drugs. And to say that there's any real analogy between Portugal and Oregon is, I think, um, naive. But I'm going to be working very hard to help Nathan uh, raise the money that he needs. He's going to be facing George Soros' opposition, George Soros-funded opposition. I think Mike Schmidt as district attorney is a total failure and I'm going to be working very hard to make sure that he's replaced. But there are going to be lots and lots of races and lots and lots of politicians out asking for on-the-ground help, money, endorsements, all the things that come with the political season that anymore never seems to stop. I want to go back to filing day, the end, the last one in the second week of March that you've been, I assume, in the building in Salem. I'm curious with all the electronic filing and all the, you know, all the stuff that you don't have to do in person or on paper anymore, is the drama still there the last time you did this? Oh, God, yes. Oh, God, yes. I, it, it used to be that they had big sheets um, put up. Uh, they were taped to the walls of the House chamber so that you could see who had filed right down to the last moment. Um, and they still, to the last time I was involved in a public filing, they, they still were recording it. Whether or not the new Secretary of State is going to do that, I don't know. But there's considerable drama involved in it. And I recall vividly driving home and my office called and they said, nobody had filed against you. And I pounded my fist on the steering wheel and said, yes. And I hit my hand on the steering wheel so hard I popped my watch off. So there's there's a lot of there's a lot of drama about it. And um, uh, for some people, the election will occur ostensibly in in uh, in May. The district attorney race, for example, is ostensibly a Democrat primary against a, a a very, very progressive failed DA and this very pragmatic prosecutor, uh, Nathan Vasquez. And so that will be over. Some of the county commission races could be over in the spring if somebody gets more than 51 percent. I'm involved in trying to get our, two of our sitting county commissioners in the county that I live in reelected. Uh, in Oregon, different counties have different constructs of how their county commissions work. We have three people and two of them are up in this cycle. I uh, held a fundraiser for one of them, a terrific woman named Margaret Magruder, whose family has a long history in Oregon. Uh, and uh, our commissioners out here run nonpartisan. So we had a mixed group of Republicans and Democrats that came we raised over $20,000 for her in one night. So I think she's going to be a very strong candidate, and I'm going to work hard to make sure she's reelected. All right. Well, the last thing I uh, wanted to talk about is kind of a sad note. Your your dear friend, uh, Senator Joanne Verger, passed away recently. I, I know you two were very close, and uh, this has to be hard for you. 
It is very, very hard. Um, Joanne was one of the most wonderful friends and colleagues, uh, a, a true Southern belle. And I'm going to ask you to post a piece that was written by a former television reporter here in Oregon, then politician, then uh, active on the political scene nationally, a guy named Rick Metzger. And he wrote simply the loveliest tribute that captured her. And he used pictures that include a picture of her in a informal attire when she was crowned the strawberry queen in her home state of Louisiana. Um, it, her husband Lawton preceded her in death, worked for her in the legislature. Uh, he was a very successful car dealer in Coos Bay. And um, these two people were a force of nature, but Joanne and I, even though she's about 20 years older than I am, formed a deep and abiding friendship based on respect, on a common political philosophy. We worked on bills together. Occasionally we killed bills together on the floor, which is a, a, a rare happenstance. Um, but she had been in declining health at age 93 and, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna miss her ferociously. She was a beautiful speaker, a published writer, um, a prolific blogger and commenter on the political scene, and um, I consider her truly one of my close close friends. I'm gonna miss her enormously. Thanks for listening to What's Up with Betsy Johnson. If you have comments or questions about this podcast, please email questions q u e s t i o n s at betsyjohnson.com.